as I said, I'm not a professional speaker, so uh, to make sure that I didn't wander too far off in the ditch, I scripted this and then realized after I had scripted it at 77, my memory's not good enough to have memorized it, so I'll be reading a lot, so pardon me for that. Uh, and also, I feel a bit awkward talking about myself for five minutes, much less 25, uh, so uh, hang with me if you will. My story, like many of yours, I'm sure, is not the result of careful planning. Uh, peering back 70 years, I clearly see evidence of God's work in my life. My intent this morning is to quickly walk you through. Still isn't you? To quickly walk you through those years uh, from a perspective of me seeking God's leading in my life. As noted in Larry's uh, email, my first concrete memory is as a five-year-old uh, living in rural North Texas, living with my mom in a ramshackle farmhouse with no running water or electricity, uh, the uh, only kerosene lanterns for light, that was a fun part, propane tank for heat, and an outdoor hand pump well, which I thought was really cool. Uh, my dad was isolated in a veteran's hospital with tuberculosis. I was told that every patient in that TB war had died except my dad. Still, I managed to live joyfully all those years. In the fall of 1951, while playing in a field beside that old shack, I flopped down in a patch of dried out, uncut wheat, uh, laying on my back, staring straight up into a majestic blue sky. Uh, I, I was really moved. And I realized that God, I, I, I thought to myself, God is looking right down on me as I lay here alone in this wheat field. And I felt God's love just all over me. And I still cherish that five-year-old moment, and I remember it. Uh, during my elementary years, I spent time with my great-grandpa, Jeremiah Williamson, who lived with us at the time. He was born in 1858 and didn't pass away until 1960. That's a, that's, a, that's a cool 102 years. Uh, he told me about his Civil War-era boyhood about Comanche Indian raids in North Texas, and especially his respect for then-president, old Uncle Abe. Uh, Grandpa Jeremiah's family had left East Tennessee, as a matter of fact, uh, for Texas, with the Civil War kind of coming on the horizon, and being pro-Union, anti-slavery East Tennesseans, as they almost were, they diverted to Missouri during the war. After Appomattox, they moved on to North Texas. I grew up never knowing anyone in the Williamson clan who tolerated racism. And my mom and dad were all about love and respect. That's all I ever heard. I didn't think about what that was. I didn't think about the fact that they, about the nature of racism because I never heard about it when I was with, with the Williamson group. Now, on the other hand, in my mother's family tree, uh, there was another great grandpa, Thomas Boyd, who lived in pre-Civil War Mississippi. He became a Confederate captain. In July of 1863, he was captured in the Battle of Vicksburg. He was held by the Union Army for several, two years, I guess, or so, as one of what were to be called later the Immortal 600, prisoners used to protect the Union walls, uh, among other things, of Savannah's Fort Pulaski. They parked them out in front so that the Confederates couldn't fire onto the, the, the uh, fort. On my mother's family tree, uh, the, that, that whole concept of 
of, uh, of hatred and uh, slavery and uh, carried on for another hundred years. Uh, but my mom helped change all that. Few people showed love and respect to all races as did my mom, and I could tell you stories about that. I was a mediocre student through elementary and, and high school with no real vision for myself. Uh, then in 1964, I left for Abilene Christian University, becoming a Bible major, and I have no clue why. I, it was just sort of better than some of the other alternatives I saw out there. In any case, I was quickly accumulating a pathetic grade point average, but I wasn't surprised because I knew I wasn't that smart. Uh, the, uh, the first day of my junior year at ACU, the, uh, 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 the first day of my junior year, the, the ACU's di director of testing and measurements had trouble getting that out, called me in and told me he had looked at my poor academic record my first two years and was disappointed with my grades. Well, I informed him that I had secretly peaked uh, in the school office when I was in junior high school at my IQ, and it was really low, so no one should expect me to have good grades, and I felt like I was off the hook. Well, he just kind of rolled his eyes. It was a good old good guy. He rolled his eyes. He walks over to a huge row of file cabinets. You know the file cabinets before we had computers? Okay. Walked way down this 20 file cabinets down, pulls out the drawer because Williamson's W, so it was at the end. Pulls out the drawer, digs through, finds my file, opens it up, flops it open, flips a few pages, closes it up, puts it back in, walks back over to the table where I'm sitting. And uh, uh, he says, I've just looked, and your IQ is in the very top range of my class, of your class. And, and that was a genuine surprise because I had actually bought the thing about my super low IQ. Uh, and so with some irritation, God speaks in interesting ways, with some irritation he says, Byron, you need to get your act together. And in that instant, I was compelled to imagine a new vision for myself. And I, I was sort of serious. I hadn't been very serious through the first 20 years of my life, but all of a sudden it was like, huh, maybe I need to see the world differently. Uh, so uh, at that point... And, and with that new vision, my grade point jumped from 1.7 for the first two years to a 3.8 grade point the last two years. Uh, and I was surprised. I thought that was easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, uh, clearly, the Lord had given me a swift kick, uh, and I listened. And I, but I wondered, okay, now what am I going to do with this? Because uh, I had no vision for what I might do with my life still. Two summers after... Uh, Two summers after my freshman and sophomore years, I signed up to sell Bibles door-to-door -door at the Southwestern Company here in Nashville. It was my first opportunity to come to Nashville. And in this, God taught me to live alone by myself, isolated out, uh, first in Ohio, then in Alabama, uh, in isolated places to confidently look people in the eye, to make my pitch, to listen carefully, and to close the sale. And I found that those skills worked in a lot of different contexts. Uh, but that was not the only thing I learned. In that summer of 1966, before the big marches in 68, door-to-door -door sales introduced me to a dozen, dozens, actually, of Ku Klux Klan members uh, scattered around Cullman, Alabama, where I was working that summer. I had thought the Klan was something of a myth. Myth, you read about it in the paper and you hear about it, but I never had known anybody that was, was in the Klan, much less sympathetic with the Klan. 
So I was stunned by all the ugly hatred that I heard. Uh, again, God was using edgy experiences to teach me that what my mother already knew, and that is to love and respect all men. As a college senior, one of my professors who had been a valedictorian of his doctoral class at Harvard saw enough in me to pull me aside, offering to secure my entry into Harvard grad school. Well, you can imagine how I reacted. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so I shook my head and very politely said, well, you know, I, I just don't think that's really quite a fit for me. Uh, had I said yes, uh, there's a good chance that I would have missed the family I have now and the ministry opportunities that have blessed me. Uh, and I was conscious at the time that, that that was sort of, I felt that was God's leading, that, that I declined that opportunity. I stayed on at ACU for grad school, and as I read and studied, I began to see my personal faith and global, the global church more broadly. And that's in a Church of Christ graduate school, okay? Uh, I had not gone to Harvard, but my ACU professors themselves had wonderful backgrounds, holding doctorates from Harvard, Yale, Chicago, Duke, Southern Cal, and St. Andrews in Scotland. Doesn't sound real Church of Christ-like, but I, as, I, as I worked through grad school, my teachers helped me discover God's grace and the beauty of unity among a broad cross-section of believers. Those insights came from the books that they had us read. The tech, they weren't textbooks, but they were recommended reading for papers that we prepare. And just a few of the names that you're all familiar with, C.S. Lewis and William Barclay and F.F. F. Bruce and John Stott and Karl Barth and Oswald Chambers even. Uh, all this opened my eyes to what it means, uh, what is meant by the words Christian and unity of the body of Christ. As I completed uh, my master's in ministry in church history in 1970, I took youth and education ministry positions in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. In 72, one of my elders uh, walked in holding a hippie-style evangelistic fold-up track that I'd created uh, to be distributed in their schools by the kids in our youth program. Uh, and he said, and, and this was sort of a big moment in my life, have you ever thought about going into publishing? And, uh, well, now that thought had never occurred to me, not for a millisecond. Uh, but I was intrigued, but I had no clue how to travel down that road. Uh, after seven years in local church work, uh, a door opened. I felt God's hand in it, as you would see, because an old college friend, uh, if you're that young and you can say old, but a college friend calls and offers me a job in Christian publishing. So you sit back in your chair when that happens and go, whoa, uh, what do I do with this? Uh, a few years after learning the publishing ropes, uh, God prompted me to create the first translation of the Bible for children. At a third grade reading level, it was called the International Children's Bible, the ICB. And to my surprise, the ICB was promoted on 1,800 national radio stations by Dr. James C. Dobson who had I casually met in a lunch line at a conference. And, and then uh, somehow or another, that God-related connection, because I didn't plan that, uh, turned into something that the ICB has sold over 15 million copies. Uh, after the ICB, it occurred to me to create an adult-level cousin to the ICB, which I called the New Century Version, NCV. It was more of a pure translation than the paraphrased Living Bible at the time. And I love the Living Bible, by the way. Uh, they did evolve that into a more of a translation eventually. Unbelievably, Billy Graham 
okay, Church of Christ guy and Billy Graham, uh, himself discovered the NCV quickly and promoted the NCV on its, the release of the full Bible on national television at one of his crusades, taking orders for 750,000 copies from a little chat by the fireplace that he did that was pasted into his, his crusade broadcast. Only God could have made that happen. It was way past my pay grade. Uh, and I just sort of watched things like that happening going, okay, uh, thank you, God. Uh, I was now racking my brain since this little company I was calling Worthy at the time. We had a couple of three products, literally only two or three. Uh, and I was wondering how we grow this business. Strangely, as a non-instrumental Church of Christ kid, my very first lead was to contact a Christian music guy in Nashville, uh, Mike Blanton, that some of you know. I heard him uh, heard of him via my younger brothers who knew him in college. So I called Mike, and he took a 20-minute meeting. He didn't have any more time than that. But as a result of that meeting, uh, Worthy did books with Amy Grant in 1985, and then Michael W. Smith in 87. That wasn't a small thing. Those, both of those books sold over a million copies, expanding B. Dalton, Walden, and Target's vision for Christian content. And I, I'm a little guy, but that really made a change there. God was doing his thing, and Worthy was sort of hanging on for the ride. Uh, it, it was interesting, but again, this is me thinking, I guess, I guess publishing is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, in, the late, in late 88, Little Worthy was acquired by Word, uh, Music, and Books, which was owned by Cap City's ABC, now Disney. Word was the largest transdenominational Christian media company when you count the music and the books and everything together. On my first day managing Word Books, again, this Church of Christ kid, found myself signing off on a Billy Graham travel expense report. And I, I sat back in my chair and just thought, how did I get here? Uh, the, and I have got to assume that God is at work in this because this, I didn't have this plan. Uh, the, God had been uh, preparing me to break free from current Church of Christ theological views to, to publish authors who wrote positive, Jesus-centric messages that could unify the church around the globe. Now, as a side note, the Churches of Christ began in the beginning of the uh, 19th century as a unity movement. And it was a, a joint effort by Baptists, Presbyterians, and Methodists. And they, the hundreds of churches through Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, took the names of their denominational affiliations off buildings and put Christians meet here. Well, I, I love that tradition. So I'm going back to the roots of the Church of Christ, not where they wandered off to later. Uh, at Word, I was blessed to recruit a great team, and it, it's, it's all about teams and always was and always will be. Um, one of those members is here this morning, Where's David Moberg. Wave, David. Uh, he and I published a diverse list of authors like Billy Graham, Max Licato, Chuck Colson, Pat Robertson, Tony Evans, Oz Guinness, Jack Hayford, Tony Campolo, Chuck Swindoll, even Nolan Ryan. At one special event, I set 10 of these pastor-teacher types, very diverse, down and put them in a circle, most of them meeting for the first time, leading them in a two-hour strength bombardment exercise. I don't know if you've ever done that or not. Each affirming, each being affirmed by all of the others one at a time. And they got such a kick out of that, they went around the circle twice. 
uh, and they loved it. And these guys came out, people who didn't know each other, whose theological preferences were completely different from Calvinist to, uh, to uh, Charismatics, uh, and were hugging each other, and it was a sweet, one of the sweetest evenings I've ever experienced, and I'm sure David remembers that. Then in early 93, Thomas Nelson announced uh, the purchase of Word. Shortly thereafter, uh, Nelson moved Beth, my wife, and I to Nashville, and I became president of both Thomas Nelson and Word. Still wondering how I got in this position at Nelson, we signed Frank Peretti. And in 1995, Frank made, made not just the New York Times bestseller list, but the front page of the New York Times. Uh, we signed leadership guru John Maxwell, who became the best-selling leadership author in America. And David Moberg and I together worked with John MacArthur in signing John MacArthur to write the MacArthur Study Bible, which is, I don't know, it's, I think millions of copies have, have been sold of uh, his uh, study Bible. And then a sobering moment came, though, in, in 1995. While I stood on the balcony inside the New York Stock Exchange hearing the bell ring, uh, Nelson was being publicly traded. A Bible, Bible company was being publicly traded. Uh, I was now a corporate player, less so a Christian content developer and marketing guy. And I was bewildered by this new direction and a personal struggle sort of began in my heart. Not sure I can explain it. Despite that inner turmoil, we managed to press on with our mushrooming growth at Nelson. In part, uh, my strategy was to sort of reinvent some old imprints. I had transitioned word worthy kids to word kids and now to Tommy Nelson uh, and recruiting Dan Johnson, some of you know Dan, uh, out of the music business to manage word kids. Then I recruited Jack Countryman, uh, who dramatically expanded our gift book imprint. Sales totally boomed. Each of those two imprints grew 20, to 20 million each uh, quickly. Uh, Nelson Word became the eighth largest publisher, hanging with Random House, Harper, and the Simon Schuster crowd. And that was really weird. Uh, the, but by 1998, in part due to mounting pressures from a more corporate work culture, uh, I was dealing only with, with attorneys and market makers uh, and not authors and not content. Uh, I crashed and burned. And it was... Uh, it was fully on me. Uh, there's nobody else I can blame. I just did not cope, and I, all the bad things that happened in your life, and I just went down the tubes. I'd lost, but the most important thing was I'd lost contact with God's leading. Uh, so I walked into the chairman's office and just resigned uh, with nowhere else to go. That was my only solution to the position I was in. And as I left Sam Moore's office, some of you knew Sam. I went blind in my right eye. So I just drove straight from my resignation to Vanderbilt emergency with a detached retina. In this traumatic moment, I turned back to God. And God got my attention with that one. Um, and because I, I remember sitting, weeping, worrying, will I lose vision in the other eye? And blind was not exactly my idea of a good time. Uh, so uh, I turned back to God, realizing I had really lost my way. And my precious wife, Beth, courageously held me up during uh, the recovery of my vision, uh, my sanity, and my heart for God's leading. 
And she even gave me a book idea in the middle of that <laughs> uh, that Max Licato decided he would write. Uh, leaving Nelson, I was saddled with a non-compete, but by 2001, I was able to pitch a new startup idea to Integrity Music in Mobile, Alabama. And to my surprise, they bought into that, and we formed Integrity Books. And God's hand was all over that, uh, allowing us to quickly sign a number of remarkable books, like Max Licato's It's Not About Me, which was the idea that my wife surfaced, Beth Moore's Get Out of That Pit, Newt Gingrich's Rediscovering God in America, Henry Cloud and John Townsend's God Will Make a Way, Emerson Egrich's Love and Respect, David Jeremiah's Captured by Grace. I couldn't believe how blessed we were placing as many as six of the top ten on the Christian bestseller list. Uh, but the most amazing thing began in the summer of 2002 when my marketing VP dropped off a couple of half-page church bulletin articles uh, written by a missionary lady in Australia. Her written voice sounded like words my own deeply spiritual mother would have cherished, and I recognized that. It was one of those, ah, can't take a breath. It made me think of my mom who had just passed away. And I always, we always listen to our mom, right? And so I, so I asked Sarah uh, Young if she could put together 365 of her brief devotionals for a little book that we'd call Jesus Calling. Sarah said, yeah, she seemed really enthusiastic and unintimidated by that. Uh, and so I said, great. In 2004, fall of 2004, uh, we released Jesus Calling devotional. And it, uh, various forms of Jesus Calling, various editions, and many foreign languages actually now, I can't remember how many, uh, have sold something like 45 million copies. Uh, Jesus Calling is possibly the best-selling book, maybe Christian or secular, that was first published in the 21st century. Uh, God was at work, and I was just blessed to be in the neighborhood. Uh, in fiscal 2007, as the music industry began its frightening transition from physical CDs over to the digital world, uh, Integrity Music was forced to sell Integrity Books to Thomas Nelson. That was probably a good thing for Jesus Calling to have Thomas Nelson and HarperCollins support behind it. But again, after the transition, I walked away. I wasn't sure what God expected of me, so I waited semi-patiently. And after surviving another non-compete in 2009, I called on an old acquaintance in Texas. He'd been in my Sunday school class back in the day. Uh, and after a quick 10-minute pitch, and that, I had a 20-page PowerPoint presentation, but, I, <laughs> but I, after the first two slides... Uh, he looked to, he, it was a little more complicated than that, but that was all I said, the first two slides. He looks over to his CFO and says, give him whatever he needs. And it was like, okay. Um, again, God came at me from a totally unexpected direction in a way that I could have never planned or programmed. It wasn't, it, that was just a gift. So in 2010, we revived the Worthy Publishing brand and launched again. Worthy miraculously signed Dr. David Jeremiah uh, to do the Jeremiah Study Bible, which has sold over a million copies. John Hagee's book, Four Blood Moons, hit the New York Times list for 17 straight weeks. We did several novels with Jerry Jenkins of Left Behind fame. Grammy winning for King and Country produced a motion picture, you may remember, priceless, about human trafficking. They asked us to publish a novelization uh, for the movie. And there was B.B. Winan's timely book, The Whitney I Knew, released shortly after the death of his friend, Whitney Houston. 
And then in 2017, oddly, we launched a special imprint for the brand new Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Uh, all of that was not because I was smart or clever. It was, it was just a God thing in each case. In, 20, in 2018, after nine gracious years with my Fort, Fort, Fort Worth investor, uh, which is an amazing long time for private equity, as you mostly know. They, most private equity I talked to was three, three years, five years. Uh, <coughs> the uh, the Fort Worth investor comes to me and says, how long are you going to do this? Uh, and he, he was polite and didn't say, you're in your 70s now. But uh, <laughs> So I said, you know what, the timing is, is right right now. So uh, we sold... Worthy to Hachette USA, uh, the third largest publisher in America and home to authors like James Patterson. Uh, I transitioned out of Hachette Worthy in late 2019 into what amounts to retirement uh, since I was subject to a four-year non-compete. Uh, I had never envisioned this 50-year journey, but I'm proudly grateful, profoundly grateful, that God broke through my blindness and called me to this work. Uh, that I didn't see coming, and at each stage it was something God just kind of put in, put there for me uh, without me knowing what I was going to be. Now regretfully, regretfully retired. I do wrestle with being detached from work I've loved all these years. You may recall, I don't know, this is my favorite movie maybe of all time. I saw it in my senior year in college. But the 1968 movie, 2001 Space Odyssey. I don't know if you saw that or not. And toward the end of the movie, the star of the movie, who was an astronaut, finds himself floating alone in space, just suspended with the Earth off in the distance. And that was life. Uh, well, that's me floating out there, and maybe some of you as well. And that's, that's my story. Uh, it's, it's, it's one in which I was blessed... Uh, to wake up in the morning and find opportunities at my door that brought joy and fulfillment. And I felt like I, that I now figured out why I got a Bible major at Abilene Christian. <laughs> uh, that's, that's it. I, any comments or questions? I could have David Moberg come up and correct all my errors. but <laughs> Thank you very much.